Both of us, through Christ, have access to the Father because He has reconciled us to, to God. He has adopted us into His family, and so we can come to Him as Father. What that means is that we don't try and manipulate God with our prayers. We don't, we don't try and twist His arm to get the answer that we want. It means that we come to Him like one of His children. That He's our Father. He longs to hear and bless you know, almost every relationship that we're in um, depends on performance. Your relationship you have with your boss at work is dependent on performance. Relationship you have with your teacher or your lecturer is, is dependent on performance. The relationships with the people in your sports team and those you play against is dependent on performance. And sadly, sometimes even relationships with your spouse can depend on performance. But this relationship does not depend on your performance depends on the performance of Jesus. That by His blood, you can come to God as Father. God is the God who, who bends His ear towards the prayers of His people, longs to listen, loves to hear our prayers. He's interested in you. He's interested in your life. He's interested in your concerns. He's interested in your worries. God loves it when His children come to Him and pray. Just like a father who comes home from work and wants to hear about the prayers of his, uh, the, the, the day of his children, God loves to hear about the prayers of his children. Very different this is from, say, the, the, the mantras of, of Hinduism, where people would come and offer a sacrifice to appease the anger of the gods and then, then offer repeated mantras or songs, learnt songs, and they would just pray them or sing them over and over and over again. Very different is this type of prayer from the formal prayers that you would see in Judaism, where people would go three times a day to the temple and um, read a prayer from a certain book or from memory. Very different are these type of prayers from, say, for example, the prayers that you would see in Islam, where not three times a day, now five times a day, people would come and pray in a very particular fashion, they would come and pray and there would need to be a washing routine, ears, face, hands, between the fingers, all that kind of stuff. There would need to be a very particular way that you would face. You need to face Mecca, including all of your fingers and toes. And there's a, a, a series of, of performances that you would make, bowing and hand rituals that you need to do. Very important to do that, otherwise the prayer is not heard and honoured. Very different is this type of prayer. Christian prayer doesn't come offering a sacrifice, doesn't come um, needing to be cleansed because Jesus has already made us clean. He is our mediator between us and God. There is no other religion that I know of that comes and prays to God, our Father. Not even in the Old Testament do you see prayers to God as Father. So this is unique. This is the unique privilege of those who have been included in Christ, that we could come and pray to God who is personal and relational. I wonder if that's true for you, if that's what your prayer life looks like, or if it's more of a duty and an obligation. You know, we often start the way we pray by saying, Father God, or something like, Dear Heavenly Father, I wonder if you've ever paused to think about the first one to three words that come out of your mouth when you pray. That's an incredible privilege. Father, Father. Sometimes it just so easily rolls off our tongues. 
And so the next time you come to pray, savor the opportunity that you can come to God and call Him Father. What a wonderful, wonderful opportunity that we have for those who are in Christ. But yet I know for some of you that this image of God being Father is hard for you because your experience of Father has been tainted by your experience of your earthly Father. Maybe He's been abusive or maybe He's neglected you or He's been distant. And so for you, this, this image, you, you balk at it. And so maybe your prayer is, God, please replace my experience with a vision of you, of the kind of Father that you are like. Because God is the good Father that you never had. And you know what? Jesus actually makes that comparison between the earthly father and the heavenly father. This is what it says in verse 11 of chapter 11. This is Jesus speaking. He says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent or a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. You guys met Judah up here before and he's getting to that point in his communication where he's able to verbalize his requests rather than just kind of scream and cry and point at things. And so he can say a bunch of words and one of the words he likes to say in the morning, I I get up with him and we do breakfast and he stands on this little seat in the kitchen and and he looks into the kitchen. I'm getting his wheat bix ready. And as I open the fridge to get the milk out, he says, Daddy Deuce, Daddy Deuce. And he wants his his apple juice. He's got this little uh, drink bottle of apple juice in there. And so I take it out and I give it to him. But you know, I know the difference between that um, Coles brand apple and pear juice that we've got on the inside of the fridge and the 12-year-old single malt bottle of Laphroaig Scotch whiskey in the cabinet next to it. I know the difference. Even though those two liquids look very similar... I know the difference between those two things. And I'm not about to get, apart from the fact that it's an expensive bottle of whiskey, but I'm not about to get that and pour it into his drink bottle and and give it to him. Why? Because I care for him. I don't want to harm him. I don't want to hurt him. I want to give him apple juice and not scotch whiskey because I'm a a father and I want to care for my child. And the point that Jesus is making is this. If I, as a sinful dad, am able to do good things and make correct decisions for my child... How much more God, who is the perfect Father, perfect Heavenly Father. If I know the difference between good and bad, then how much more God? You know what that means is that God cannot give bad things to His kids. God will not give you bad. God will not give you a scorpion if you ask for bread. He won't. He can't. It's outside of His character. But some of you might say, "Well, it certainly feels like God's given me a scorpion." He hasn't taken this away and I had to walk through that valley. Now, I mean, the answer to that question really is a sermon in itself. But let me just say two things quickly. I think sometimes our experience is not the result of God giving us something. Maybe it's the experience of being in a fallen, broken world. Maybe it's the consequence of our own sin. And I think the other thing to say is that I think God stands behind the blessings that he gives us in our answers to prayer and the horrible things that happen to us, I think he stands behind those two things very differently. But God will not give his children things that are harmful for them. He's a good father. He longs to bless. He longs to give. Now, doesn't that change the way you think about prayer? Doesn't that change the way you want to come to God, knowing that he's your father? Knowing who we pray to, I think, changes everything about our prayers. God is good. He's gracious. He's generous. He's our heavenly Father. 
He knows what's best for us, better than what we know for ourselves. And he longs to bless us with good things. So that's the first thing. I think when we get who we pray to, radically changes the way we pray. The second thing is when we get what prayer is, I think it radically changes the way we pray. This is my definition of prayer from Luke 11. This is what it says. Prayer is bold, persistent, and expectant pleading. Bold, persistent, and expectant pleading for God's glory and our good. That's what I think this passage tells us prayer is. Have a look at verse 5 if you've got your Bible there. Verse 5 of chapter 11. And Jesus said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are in bed with me. I cannot give up, get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Jesus asked the question, if you had a friend that came to you late at night and you had nothing to give him, who of you would be bold enough and shameless enough to get up, knock on your neighbor's door at midnight, wake the whole family up and request not one, not two, but three loaves of bread? Who of you would be bold enough to do that? And in mo- most um, ancient homes in, in uh, Israel, families would have lived in a, in a one-room house. Everything happened in that one room. And so for the family to be asleep with the door locked, it means that mum and dad are asleep, all of the kids are asleep, everyone's in this one room. So to go and knock on the door means you're going to wake the family up, you're going to wake the kids up. And I've got to tell you, as a sleep-deprived parent at the moment, I've got some sympathy for this guy in the room because when the kids are asleep, you're like, you will do anything to keep them asleep. But there is something that drives this guy to want to... Whoa. There's something that drives this guy to want to be so shameless as to wake his neighbor up and plead for some food and hope that he would get it. And I think it's this. It's good old-fashioned Palestinian hospitality. right? They were so driven by hospitality and the desire to want to provide food for those who came to the house and not just a little bit of food but a lot of food that he's willing to go and wake his neighbor's family up. I've been working for the last 10 years out at a church in the western suburbs of Sydney called Multicultural Bible Ministry. 65 different nationalities and ethnic backgrounds in that church. And I remember uh, our pastor, Ray, he was Maltese. And um, I remember the first time I ran a meeting, he said to me, Matt, I want to talk to you about this meeting you ran. I was like, oh, no, I said something wrong. And I ran it, ran it wrong. And he said, um, yeah, you didn't have any food at the meeting. I was like... Yeah, it was like just an hour meeting. It was just really quick. A couple of people goes, you never run a meeting at this church without food. I was like, okay. It's like food is the way to people's hearts. And it's the way we ethnic people do it. So you put food at the meeting. Every meeting, he wanted to make sure that I was serving food for people. It's just Middle Eastern hospitality. And so this guy goes knocking on his neighbor's door in the middle of the night, pleading for three loaves of bread. He wants to put an abundance of food on the table for his friend. And the point of the story is not that God is like the neighbor. And if you nag God enough and hassle him enough, he'll eventually just go, all right, stop. I will give you what you're asking for. That's not Jesus' point here. The focus is on the man knocking on the door. Jesus commends the neighbor. He says, who of you would have enough boldness to do this? Who of you would be shameless enough to do this? And the answer is, with God as our father, all of us ought to be like that. 
shamelessly, boldly coming to God and requesting things of Him. Prayer ought to be bold. Bold prayer. We approach the throne of grace with confidence, Hebrews 10 tells us. And so I wonder then why we often just end up praying small prayers. You know, sometimes I think we don't pray big because we think we're actually protecting God. You know, we're like, if I ask God for that thing that's really big, when, when he says no, he's going to look bad. So I'm just not going to ask him. I'll just ask for the small prayer because that, that one's easy. And, and so we have this sense of we want to protect God because if we pray too big, he's going to look bad. And No, no. Jesus says, come almost shamelessly to God and request. God loves it when we come to him with big prayers. You know, pr- prayer doesn't work like this. We don't come to God and say, God, um, hey, like, sorry to bother you, God, but um, you're kind of busy, like upholding the universe and all that. But I was wondering if you, if you wouldn't mind, if it wouldn't trouble you, could you just help me pass this exam? I mean, if not, it's all good. I could probably handle it myself. But right, that's not what prayer is. Jesus Christ, no, don't pray like that. Come boldly, come shamelessly, because God is your Father. So prayer is bold. We bang on the door. Verse 9 says this, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. You notice the, the rising intensity of those verses uh, those verbs, sorry. First, it's just ask. And then it's seek, which requires asking and probably some action. And then it's knock, which requires persistent asking and action. They could probably also be written, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Persistent. Prayer ought to be bold. Prayer also ought to be persistent. And it ought also be expectant. For the one who seeks, finds. The one who asks, receives. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. A.W. Tozer, uh, a famous um, theologian from uh, about a century ago, says this, Prayer is not an assault on the reluctance of God. Prayer is not an assault on the reluctance of God. If we think that God is tight and stingy and unwilling to bless and reluctant, what kind of prayers will we end up praying? We'll pray prayers that will try and manipulate God and twist His arm and and we'll pray small prayers because we think that He's not going to give us what we really want. But if we think that God is generous and good and willing and eager, what kind of prayers will we pray? I think we'll pray bold, big, trusting, expectant prayers. And so prayer is bold, persistent, expectant pleading with God. But the question is, what do we plead for? Will we plead for his glory and for our good? Verse 2 says this. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Hallowed be your name. It's, a, it's kind of not language we use too much anymore. Um, but it's a request that God would be treated as God. That his name would be treated as holy. The question is, why, do, why does God ask us to pray that that? that his name would be hallowed, that he would be treated as holy. I mean, is it that he, he lacks some holiness and, and, and our prayers you know, kind of make it up and, and, and fill up the holiness that God is lacking? No, not at all. God does not lack any holiness whatsoever. But what he's saying here is that our, our, impre- our prayers don't increase God's level of holiness. It increases 
the level of respect for God's holiness in people's hearts. It increases awe in people for God. So he says, pray that. Ask that people would treat me as I deserve. Prayer is entirely God-centered. The ultimate goal for your prayer is not that you would get the answer that you want or that you would get, um, be, be comfortable. Even though God may grant you those things, it's not the ultimate goal of prayer. The ultimate goal of prayer is that the name of God would be treated as holy, that He would be glorious. That's the ultimate goal of prayer. As a church, we ought to be a people who are jealous for the glory of God. And we long to see Him worshipped as He deserves. Now, that doesn't mean you can't pray for practical things like exams and sickness and cats and dogs. And God loves to hear those prayers. But what it means is that as we bring those things to God, we bring them in the context of wanting His name to be lifted up in our exams and in our sickness. That's the ultimate goal. So prayer is bold, persistent, expectant, pleading for God's glory and secondly for our good. Verse 3 says this. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we, forgive, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. You know, a culture where our pantry is full and Coles Online delivers straight to your doorstep and Macca's is open 24-7 and you can go up to King Street and there's probably 20 different cuisines up there. To get. I mean, it's hard to imagine us ever asking God for food, isn't it? And maybe you have been in that place. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you have been in that place of need where, where you just really were like, God, um, food would be great right now. We, we've got nothing. We need food. But my guess is that most of us haven't been there. We don't, we don't ask God for food, do we? We just say grace. God, thank you for the food that you've already provided. The point here is not just about physical bread. It's about broader, a broader category of daily necessities, of, of general provision. And this type of prayer, Jesus says, it acknowledges a dependence on God, that we're dependent on Him for everything. In a culture of utter self-sufficiency and convenience and refrigeration even, we need to pray this prayer more than ever. We need to foster and nurture that dependence on God for our daily needs, for our daily necessities. Mark Connor, who's pastor of uh, one of the largest churches in Melbourne, says this, he says, the things that we do not pray about, we believe that we can do by ourselves. But the things we do pray about, we believe that we need God's help with. Don't we need God's help with everything? We do, even the small things in life. Think about how futile and frail even our jobs, our incomes, our health are. They can be taken away just like that. We're utterly dependent on God more than we care to really realize. And so this type of prayer is to foster dependence on God in everything. But it's not just for physical, daily necessities. It's also for spiritual ones. So the next two petitions are about spiritual needs. He says, forgive us our sins. Now that expression there is one of utter dependence. That's an acknowledgement that, that we cannot deal with our sin ourselves. That we are broken people, that we need a saviour, we need a rescuer. But the request there, you notice, is dependent. It's got a condition. It says, forgive us our sins because we forgive those who have sinned against us or we forgive those who are indebted to us. Now, that's not to say that God will only forgive you because you've forgiven other people. No, no, it's the other way around. It's 
Because God has been so gracious to you, you now become a gracious person. Because God has been so good to you, forgiven you, shown you mercy, you forgive and show mercy to others. And secondly, it says, do not lead us into temptation. Not that God would do that, but that it's a request. It's kind of like saying, what do you want to do today? Tash, do you want to, do you want to go out? She's like, just don't take me somewhere boring. But what she means is take me somewhere good. So not that God will lead you into temptation. God never gives us what we cannot bear. But this is a request. God, deliver us from that which would undermine our faith, from that which would pull us away from you, from that which would drag us away from worship of you. So we pray boldly, expectantly, persistently, pleading with God for his glory and our good. If you love Jesus, when was the last time that you prayed like that? When was the last time that your prayer life looked like these prayers that Jesus is talking about here? And if I'm honest with you, this last uh, 10 months or so, I've had to fight for that pretty unsuccessfully at times with the busyness of a church plant, a young family. That type of prayer is, is hard to come by. And I long for the days where I can get back to the prayer that I know I've experienced what about you? When was the last time you prayed like that? What, what motivates this type of prayer? What motivates you to get up earlier than you really need to in the morning? What motivates you to, to stay up a little bit later than you really want to? What motivates you to, to change your routine, to make time for prayer? Not, not find time for prayer, make time for prayer. What motivates that? Is it not the glorious picture of prayer that Jesus has painted for us this morning? That we can come to our Father, our good, gracious, heavenly Father. And we can come expectantly and boldly and persistently pleading for His glory and our good. And that changes everything about prayer. This is not, you know, shopping list, dutiful prayer that we do not expect an answer to. You know, my guess is that there's no one here who really feels that they pray too much. I've never had anyone confess to me in 17 years of, of discipling people, I pray too much. You know, we, we can have an excessive TV and excessive social media, excessive sleep. I don't think we can ever have an excess of prayer. You just can't pray too much. I want to see our church grow in prayer, in this area. I want us to be a praying church, a church that saturates every corner of the life of our church in prayer. And I'm not really sure I see the kind of dependence and desperation yet in the life of our church. I want us to grow in this area. Let me share with you a couple of quotes from Spurgeon, famous Baptist preacher. He says this, We will never see much change for the better in our churches in general, till the prayer meeting occupies a higher place in the esteem of Christians. Now, I love our prayer meetings. Wednesday morning, 7.30 a.m. in the city, there's a group of us who gather. It's, it's one of my favorite times of the week, aside from maybe my day off with the family. But I love that time. I love the prayer meeting we had, the prayer tour where we walked around the city. It's not that those times haven't been great. I just wonder if our hearts are pursuing God with dependence and desperation like we ought to, to see our vision come to fruition in this city. Or what about this? Spurgeon says this, Oh, without prayer, 
What are the church's agencies but the stretching out of a dead man's arm or the lifting up of the lid of a blind man's eye? Only when the Holy Spirit comes is there any life and force and power. That's the kind of desperation we need. Coming to God, utterly dependent on Him to do everything that we hope to see happen in this city. Now, I don't want to motivate you with guilt. It's a woeful motivator. But I hope that the picture of prayer that Jesus has painted this morning drives us to our knees because the church moves forward on its knees. But maybe here this morning you think, well, I've actually, I don't think I've ever prayed before. I'm not even sure if God is there. And it's a bit weird for me to think about this whole topic of prayer. You know, if you've been following along with this, I think Jesus' encouragement for you this morning is, why don't you seek? You just might find. Why don't you knock? The door just might be opened. Why don't you ask? You might receive. This is what it says in verse 13. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You're seeking God. You're looking for Him. He loves to answer those prayers. He loves to open the door and say, Welcome home. I was on Facebook the other day and I noticed a post by my cousin who lives in Mauritius. Um, and she's got two kids, kind of the same age as Tash and I. And her husband Shane had been uh, on a business trip to Reunion. I don't even know where that is, somewhere on a small island maybe. And uh, he'd come home and he'd brought his son Keenan all these presents. And Julia um, mentioned that this is what uh, Keenan had said. He said, Mum, look at all these special prizes Daddy brought me. Daddy's so silly because he's the special prize because I love him so much. So cute, right? But here's the thing. It's not about the prizes and the blessings and the thing that God is going to give you. It's about the fact that we get God. Matt Chandler says this, The gospel is not, if you love Jesus, you will get everything you want. The gospel is this, you get Jesus and he will be enough no matter what. Friends, our hope and prayer is that Anchor would be a church that is on its knees, pleading with God for his glory, for our good. We're going to respond to that God who is our Father now in worship. And we're going to respond in the Lord's Supper. At the front, we've got two stations here with some bread and some grape juice. And we invite you to come forward and take the bread and and dip it into the grape juice and step aside and, and pause for reflection and remember what Jesus has done for you and celebrate the gospel. We'd love you to do that. And and if you need prayer for anything, uh, we would love to pray for you. Brian and myself will be out the back on the deck. If you would like to receive Christ this morning, if you want prayer for absolutely anything, we would love to pray for you. You don't have to pray. We will pray for you. But I'm going to invite the band to come up now. We're going to respond in praise and worship of our God. I'm going to pray for us. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that we get to call you that, Father. Thank you that because Jesus has reconciled us to you, we're part of your family. Thank you that you're you're listening right now. You bend your ear towards the prayers of your people. Lord, would your name 
be holy. Would your name be glorious in our lives, in this church, in this city? Would you extend your kingdom here, your rule, your reign? Father, we have needs and we bring them before you now. Please meet our daily needs. Forgive us for our sins. Help us to be gracious, forgiving people. Lead us not into temptation. For you are glorious. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.